0: And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts, together in this place and in all places, be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At the church where I served previously in Waco, Texas we often partnered with an elementary school that was just a couple blocks away from us we were in a pretty low-income neighborhood in waco and 99 percent of the students at the school were on free or reduced lunch one day a community organizer who was working with the school reached out and asked If some of us at the church might be interested in starting a mentoring program to help some of the students who were struggling with their reading. And this was the start of what became a beautiful relationship between Calvary Baptist Church and West Avenue Elementary School. For the next several years, really until I moved here, I had a standing lunch meeting every Tuesday at 11.40 a.m. with a small group of students in the school library. And each time we met, we would share what I called a cookie and a cookie crumble. In other words, our high and low from the past week. We would share something really great that happened, our cookie, And something not so great that happened, our cookie crumble. And after the first few weeks, the students really came ready to share their cookies and their cookie crumbles. It became one of our favorite parts of our time together. Then as we would transition into our reading time, I asked the students to look at the front cover of the book that we would be reading that day Maybe to flip through the first few pages and to see if they could guess what the story was going to be about. Now usually two of the students were pretty accurate in their assessments. They learned to use context clues to help them make connections between what they saw in the words of the page and what they already knew to be true. But the third child in my group, I will call him Antoine today, never saw things quite like the other two. And so each week when I would ask this question, Antoine would go on these long imaginative tangents to tell me the story that was actually going on in this week's book. So for instance, if there were children playing in a park on the front cover of the book... Then Antoine said, obviously this was going to be about how they were going to be eaten by dinosaurs. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Or maybe if there were a picture of a monkey at the zoo on the front cover, then clearly this book was going to be about a town where it rains marshmallows every day because marshmallows are awesome. (laughs) And I always looked forward to hearing what Antoine was going to come up with about the story each week. I just loved that he wasn't limited to what he saw right there in front of him. He literally never judged a book by its cover. One day he came to our meeting and he had 18 cookies to share with the group. And so he proceeded to tell us from 1 to 18 about the greatest things that had ever happened to him in his life. I honestly don't know if any of them were actually true. (laughs) But that was precisely the point. Antoine had this beautiful imagination, and he believed the impossible. And as people who are called to practice resurrection this completely impossible-seeming thing within our faith tradition, I think God invites us to do the same. But this isn't something that we are naturally taught to do, is it? I mean, more often than not, we are like the other two students in my group, and we are taught to read between the lines, to look for factual evidence and context clues to help us draw logical conclusions about what is going on, which is exactly what Thomas is trying to do in today's text. John 20, verse 19, is right where we left off last Easter Sunday. The disciples have returned from the empty tomb, but even though they have heard this good news that Jesus is risen, they haven't seen it, and so they just can't believe it. And so in fear, they are huddled together behind locked doors, not really sure what in the world is going to happen next. But all of a sudden, Jesus just comes into the room right through the locked doors and breathes peace among them. It's this incredible moment. But for some reason, we learn in verse 24 that Thomas is not with them when this happens. And so when he finds out, he says, Are you all sure you weren't just dreaming this up or something? I mean, it sounds great, but unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands, I just don't know that I can believe something like that. Now, Thomas often gets a bad rap here. People call him Doubting Thomas, a name that scripture actually doesn't give him. But really, he's not asking for anything more than what the other disciples have already had the chance to experience for themselves. He says, I need to see the evidence, the context clues in order to believe. Which I would venture to guess is the way most of us would respond to this situation too. It's like what happened this week when Kathy Collier called me on my way home from a workout on Monday evening and frantically told me that a car had somehow crashed into the front of the church. And I said, what? And then Sharon Sanders, who was on the other line, shared how she was practicing the organ when the whole building shook like an earthquake or an explosion. And so she went outside to see what had happened. And that's when she discovered this awful wreck that had happened and this car that had crashed into the building. And I was driving down Hurstbourne and I just remember being in shock because I couldn't imagine something like this happening. (laughs) And I called Carol Harston, and I'm explaining it to her. And she said, what do you mean? I just don't understand. Like, where is the car? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) And so I immediately turned my car around and began driving to the church. I needed to talk to the police. I wanted to see if anyone was hurt. Thankfully, no one was. But also there was just this part of me that just needed to see it in order to believe it. and Thomas needed the same. Amazingly, Jesus answers his request here. About a week later, Thomas is back with the disciples in the upper room when Jesus returns, and immediately Jesus says to him, look at my hands. See them for yourself. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. It's a beautiful reminder for us that Jesus is always ready to respond to what we need. And Thomas responds to all of this by saying these words, My Lord and my God. Now Thomas's words here may not be that revolutionary to us. We sing and speak these words all the time in church. I've heard them this very morning. But in the ancient world, they would have been incredibly subversive. The phrase Lord and God was commonly used in reference to Caesar. And to use these same words in reference to Jesus would have been to subvert the power of the Roman Empire. Which is why these words are actually one of the most powerful testimonies we have in all of Scripture. Jesus says to Thomas, you have believed because you have seen me, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. But who are those people about whom Jesus is referring here? It's not Thomas. It's not any of the other disciples either. They have seen Jesus. He's standing right there with them. Instead, Jesus is talking about the people who will come after them. It's the people who will hear about and read about what has happened, although they will never see it with their own eyes. Which perhaps means that Jesus is talking about people like you and people like me and anyone who has not seen and yet is still seeking to believe even when we don't have all the facts, even when we don't have evidence, even when it seems completely impossible. Except, I don't know about you, but more often than not, I find myself discouraged by so many seemingly impossible situations surrounding us these days. When I think about the deep and lasting effects of racism in our country, In this very city, when we are still having a trial about the killing of George Floyd that we all witnessed on video, it seems so impossible to even begin to make right what for so long has been so very wrong. When I think about the problem of gun violence in our country right now, just weeks after two more mass shootings in Atlanta and Boulder, and the statistic that roughly 100 Americans are being killed every single day right now because of gun violence, it seems impossible to make any sort of change. When I think about the journey of recovery from drug and alcohol addiction that so many experience on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, When I think about the hate crimes against our neighbors who are Asian American Pacific Islanders, which have increased significantly during this pandemic. When I think about the drastic economic disparities in our country and world, about the climate crisis, about you fill in the blank. I mean, there are just so many situations about which it seems completely impossible to imagine any other alternatives. But you know, when Mary Magdalene went to Jesus' tomb early that morning while it was still dark, and even when she saw this tomb was empty, it seemed completely impossible for her to imagine that Jesus might, in fact, be alive. It's why even when she saw Jesus face to face, she just couldn't believe it. It was impossible. She thought he must be the gardener because she just couldn't imagine any alternative to her grief and pain and despair. And you see, if we are not careful, we will go about our lives in the exact same way. We will find ourselves thinking about these situations like we have been taught to do to look for factual evidence and context clues to help us draw logical conclusions, which is precisely what Mary did that day too. But friends, we are called to follow after a God who defied the facts and disobeyed logic, a God whose life, death, and resurrection invite all of us to believe things that otherwise seem impossible. And so perhaps one of the questions for us to ask ourselves today is this. In what impossible situation is God inviting me to believe anyway? Even when the facts I know or the evidence I see in front of me seem to suggest otherwise. One of the best stories I can tell you about an impossible possibility happened back in that library at West Avenue Elementary School one day. You see, there's one thing I didn't tell you about Antoine at the beginning of the sermon. Although he was in the second grade, he actually couldn't read yet. And so part of the reason he dreamed up these imaginative alternatives to my books is because he couldn't read the title or the words on the page. I don't know, maybe he was embarrassed by that and wanted to get a reaction out of me or the other students so he would try to deflect. So I started reading with Antoine one-on-one when I could give him some individual attention. One day he and I were reading the book From Head to Toe by Eric Carl. I was reading, and he was acting out the story for me. So for instance, one page would say, I am a penguin, and I can turn my head. Can you do it? And the next page would say, I can do it. So he would begin to turn his head like a little penguin. Or another page would say, I am a giraffe, and I can bend my neck. Can you do it? And again, the next page would say, I can do it. So he would begin to bend his neck like a little giraffe in the library. But after the first few pages, Antoine caught on to the repetition here. So much so that he began reading the second page himself. And his face would light up and he would beam with confidence as he would say those four little words. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it, and act like whatever animal was on the page at the time. And maybe it was the ability to say aloud some of the words on the page, something he hadn't been able to do all year long. Maybe it was the confidence it gave him to say and to perhaps begin to believe the words, I can do it. Maybe the winds of the Spirit came whirling through the locked doors of the school and into the library that day to inspire a little boy to begin to believe in himself a bit more than he had before. But whatever the case, the impossible happened at West Avenue Elementary School in Waco, Texas, when a little boy who hadn't been able to read all year long began to exclaim so loud in the library that everyone in there could hear him say the words, I can do it. I can do it. You see, that's the thing about believing the impossible It ultimately leads us to do things that we thought were impossible to. Another Thomas, Thomas Merton, once said, We are called not only to believe that Christ once rose from the dead, thereby proving he was God, we are called to experience that resurrection in our own lives by entering into this dynamic movement, by following the Christ who lives in us. And so what does it look like for us to follow this Christ who dares us to believe something that seems so impossible? Or to give our approval to all that we cannot understand, as Wendell Berry writes. I think that is the question for us to live our lives answering Highland. And we can do it. We can do it. By God's grace, amen.